Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond, with Tommy Castor, Weston Mills, and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Keeper of the Games. Of course, we are the wildly underqualified yet mildly entertaining podcast that's all about sports in the air capital of Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. I'm Tommy Castor with Weston Mills and Blake Cripps back for another edition. A lot of sports talk to get to on this episode. But before we dive into it, Weston, uh, I know that the Chiefs are going to be at the the forefront of our conversation today. But I want to start with you because I'm guessing that you're feeling pretty relieved right now. You bet. Absolutely. For those of you watching on YouTube, rocking the Pat Mahomes jersey today, put it on specifically for this episode. Um, you know, you got to be excited. He's he's back. Um, nothing official yet, but, but you know, things obviously like you alluded to, Tommy, are looking good. So um, feeling pretty good about it. Well, welcome to the show. And uh, I think what a lot of people want to know, because you're up in Kansas City, uh, are you going to be attending the game? Are you going to be there? Boy, I, I am not. I haven't made it to a game all year. Ticket prices have just been uh, through They're insane. the roof. They are absolutely insane right now. Yeah, seriously. So the, I mean, the from the actual Chiefs themselves, they've been uh, pretty high, as you can imagine. You know, after a Super Bowl run, they're always going to be up. And then with the limited capacity, I think it's at sixteen thousand. Um, you know, they're certainly going to try to milk as much as they can get out of that, those limited amount of tickets they're selling. Then I usually buy on the secondary market. Um, just being up here, I can kind of wait till last minute and usually snag some pretty good deals. Uh, but secondary market's been even, even higher with people knowing what they have in the, in the limited commodity, commodity and seats available. So I have not even ventured through those prices and I'd, I'd love to be at Arrowhead. I saw a video the other day of, of from last year's playoff run again, or it was the game against the Texans and sold out Arrowhead. And it just made me <laughs> immediately get those, those feels for, you know, nothing like Arrowhead stadium. The, well, I, you know, I, was, I, I, I was thinking oh, this, you know, about how lucky we are right now. And I was thinking about these last, you know, three playoff seasons that we've had. And the Chiefs have had more wins in the last three years in the playoffs than my entire life combined to that point. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. What a it's time crazy. to be alive at a Chiefs fan. Weston, I was also I was just going to say you would think that that you know the Chiefs would know that you're a prominent podcast host and they would have <laughs> they'd have a suite ready for you for the playoff game. At least that's what I would think. Well, I can tell you, I will absolutely next year consider seeing if I can get some press credentials for training camp. I love going to training camp. I was obviously with this year, you know, it just didn't, you didn't get the opportunity. I would love to be able to to, to try to snag a press pass and <laughs> and make it up to training camp. I don't know that that uh, getting into a playoff game as press is, is something that, I don't know if our podcast has made it there yet, but uh, would would love to do it. Well, and Blake, uh, I don't know if you had an opportunity to notice this. We have a, a new intro to the show that has has your name in it. I mean, it's kind of like having your name in lights when you're on Broadway. Is that kind of how you feel? Uh, I mean, I feel like if people put my lights on Broadway, they'd probably be less likely to go. I am interested <laughs> to hear about what this famous podcast that Weston is on, that he's going to get a Chiefs suite <laughs> next year, a press pass. <laughs> Let me know. I mean, I'd be willing to, to check out that podcast. Yeah, uh, a guy can dream, right? 
We want to remind you to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a brand new episode of the podcast, you will get a notification. Of course, you can listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, all the major ones you can listen to us right there. Of course, our website is cogsports.com. That's kogsports.com. Archived episodes there uh, and so much more. Of course, you can watch full episodes on YouTube and Facebook by searching for Keeper of the Games and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's at kogpod. And before we dive into the Chiefs talk and everything else, shout out to the Wichita Wind Surge rocking the new Wind Surge hat today. If you're watching the video episode, you'll be able to see that. Uh, And now I'm just ready for baseball at Riverfront Stadium. We'll talk more about the Wind Surge a little bit later on in the program. But our top story, of course, the Kansas City Chiefs defeating the Cleveland Browns in the divisional round inside Arrowhead Stadium on Sunday afternoon. Final score of that game was 22 to 17. There's a lot to dive into and dissect and talk about with that game and moving forward to the AFC Championship game against the Buffalo Bills this weekend. But first things first, Weston, I'm going to start with you. I think it's time, but I want to know, are you ready to finally walk back your uh, opinion that the Cleveland Browns were the toughest matchup for the Kansas City Chiefs (laughs) in the playoffs? There's just absolutely no way I'm walking that back. The theory still holds true. Uh, Miles Garrett, I still have not heard anything, but he was only only playing on third down for the majority of the game. And I know he had a, a kind of like a rib issue, I suppose, but never really got any strong clarification from there. So that was my, what my whole theory was based on, right, is that they, that they bring a solid pass rush. Um, from their front four and obviously leading the way in that is is Miles Garrett and then on the flip side uh, being able to run the ball with with Nick Chubb and you saw him do that at times but but Tommy you when we talked about this last week you alluded to the fact that um, you know the Chiefs offense can can get going and essentially the the term I always use is game script Nick Chubb off the field right and that is exactly what happened and I acknowledge that that you know definitely that's the best case scenario for the Chiefs I mean you I thought it was interesting. You know, the chiefs got to start with the ball. Um, the Browns deferred to the second half. And I kind of almost thought, and it seems like every NFL team these days defers to the second half. I almost thought the Browns should have took the ball and just tried to just, you know, ground and pound that, that whole first quarter and just kind of see what the, what they had. But uh, you're right. Cause once the chiefs get up and get going, then it's hard for the Browns to feel like, or it was hard for, for the Browns to feel like they could really establish that run and run the ball the way they wanted to knowing that they needed to keep up. Um, and they really did not bring, they did on the, on the other side, they didn't get much pressure on Pat at all and, and hats off to the chiefs offensive line. They did a, a fantastic job last week. You know, of course, the, the the big topic of discussion, the big narrative coming out of this game is the health of Patrick Mahomes. Uh, of course, watching that game, we all saw the play. Of course, he he was kind of hobbled earlier in the game anyway. So he's got a foot injury that he's dealing with. But then, of course, that play in the second half went down awkwardly. It kind of it looked like the tackle was, you know, kind of arms were kind of wrapped around his neck. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is in the concussion protocol at this point. Of course, he did not return to the game. Uh, and now the question is surrounding whether or not he'll be available for Sunday's game against the Bills. So, Blake, I want to get your thoughts first off on the injury itself and, and when it happened and, you know, sort of what that that process was. And, of course, Chad Henning coming in and having to basically lead the Chiefs 
to clinch that victory against the Browns. And then, of course, moving forward, what you think we can expect from Patrick Mahomes on Sunday? Well, you look at Patrick Mahomes. This is a guy that has definitely had to play through injuries. Remember last year, he was dealing with that nagging ankle injury for what seemed like about half of the season and did pretty well uh, and was able to get healthy late in the season. And obviously, we know the result. I did not see the hit live. I was actually listening to the game on the radio last week, uh, but I did see the hit. When you look at it, it doesn't look like there's that much. doesn't look like there's any head-to-head contact at all. Just kind of looks like a normal, everyday tackle, get up and play the next down. But, you know, we're not out there playing. We, we don't know what it feels like. And obviously, as, as with the toughness that Patrick Mahomes has shown throughout his career, I mean, there's no reason for us to believe that he would be faking it at all. So um, I, I think that there, there's not anybody else that I would rather have to try to diagram a game plan for a limited Patrick Mahomes than Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy. They were able to successfully do it last year when you know Patrick Mahomes was basically moving around on one leg and one leg was good enough to get the Chiefs to the Super Bowl. He got healthy late, and so the, the training staff has proven they can get him back up and running in quick fashion. So, you know, I, I think even if he can't go, the Chiefs will have a chance. Now, I don't like the Chiefs to win with Chad Henney, but I do like the Chiefs to be competitive no matter who is its starting quarterback just because of the strength and the game-planning ability of that quarterback room and Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy designing the offense, calling the plays. So Mahomes was back on the practice field on Wednesday for Kansas City. Uh, And this is kind of interesting. Originally, he was listed as a full participant in practice. And then actually the Chiefs kind of walked that back a little bit and updated that injury report to say that he was a limited participant. He's still making his way through the concussion protocol. And and Weston, I'll I'll ask you, because I kind of agree with Blake, watching that play live – I wasn't concerned when it happened, and, and I was actually pretty shocked when I saw the report that he would not return to the game because I know that he kind of stumbled around after you know he was sort of lifted off the ground by his teammates, but then he was running at full speed into uh, the locker room. It doesn't look like it was any sort of head injury from what I could tell. Now, I'm not a neurologist or a doctor or anything. It looked like it was more of a neck issue. What did you see on that play? So... Uh- I don't know if you guys were counting on me to be the obsessive Patrick Mahomes Chiefs fan in deep dive into everything I possibly could to figure out what was going on and what chances we had of him playing. I feel pretty confident that you would do that. (laughs) Yeah. And I did, in fact, do that. So I've got a lot of information. So buckle up. So let's start with, um, I guess, the actual the hit, right? And and his chances to come back in and kind of here's my understanding of the concussion protocol. And I say my understanding because I feel like everything I've read, every, every NFL insider or NFL expert says their understanding. I'm not sure that there's a clear cut, like, Hey, this is what it is. Everyone kind of has their own understanding, but with the concussion protocol, as soon as there is basically an element of a neurological injury um, and particularly they, Pat has to go to the sideline He's examined by that independent neurologist and they have a a baseline concussion test. It's basically questions. Um, It was the same thing that we had to do when we were in college. Um, I don't know if this is, you know, we used to always joke about trying to set your uh, baseline as low as possible so you can meet that bar and go back into the game. But essentially it is questions. There's certain things that, you know, they can tell, you know, okay, you don't, if you don't know X, Y, or Z, then you're clearly have suffered some sort of, you know, 
brain injury or, or neurological event. Um, my understanding is Pat missed one question. So, and that's all it takes one question of the, however many, what the set is, whether it's five, 10, I don't know. You immediately go into concussion protocol. And once you're in concussion protocol, um, no matter what happens during the game from there. So Pat goes back to the locker room at that point, no matter what the, the, if they, you know, what any type of exam they did back there, he has to stay in concussion protocol for that game. And then they can go back retroactively and say it was not, in fact, not a concussion, but it has to be the next day. You can't do it during the game. So it immediately gets ruled a concussion if you fail any of those um, baseline tests. And, th- and that's what happened here. So that's what happens. We go to the next day. Um, now, the injury itself, <clears throat> I have seen. Uh, there's a, a guy on Twitter. I don't know if you guys have seen him. His name's Dr. David Cho or Chow. Um, yeah. And I think he's like NFL doc expert. I can't remember what his Twitter handle is. He works for Outkick now. Um, so he wrote a piece about basically what, what he thinks happened is that Pat experienced a momentary trauma to the carotid sinus area. And matter of fact, it was funny. I was about to tell my, my wife this who, and she's a, she works in cardiothoracic surgery. And she actually said, that's what she thought too. Um, and basically it's essentially that he passed out. Um, it's something that, that they teach in like, I think self-defense and maybe Brazilian jiu-jitsu, um, of, of pressing on this carotid, carotid artery and then it'll, it'll make you pass out and it is not a concussion. Um, so while Dr. David Chow said that it is pretty incredible that you could tackle someone in a way to make that happen, um, that he he and he talked with a few other doctors think that that really is the most plausible explanation for what happened to Patrick Mahomes. So gave you everything that I've been reading up on. I know that was a lot, but I do feel like it fills in a lot of the blanks of what's happening. So now that Pat's practice and both you have probably seen Adam Schefter is reporting basically that, you know, he, he was a practice Wednesday. I think there's every expectation now that he's going to meet all those concussion protocols that he has to, especially given the fact that a, a, there's a lot of expectation that he didn't actually have a concussion. And if that's the case, then it shouldn't be hard to, to pass all those um, protocol protocol steps that he's required to, to be on the field for Sunday. Well, well and, and, and of course I don't the, see a scenario where, you know, where, where Patrick Mahomes doesn't play. I mean, it's, uh, I'm not going to go as far as, you know, Colin Cowherd on his show saying that they ought to delay the <laughs> AFC championship that's game. Until, that, that's ridiculous until he's ready to play. But at the same time, I don't see a scenario where he doesn't play on Sunday. Blake, you were saying, well, and if you believe the, the people uh, in, in cahoots with uncle Brent, out in that uh, city in the desert, they think that Patrick Mahomes is going to play. <laughs> the Lions said yeah. that, can- that Kansas City is going to win this game, and I don't think that that line is going to be, you know, Kansas City minus 160 is the money line right now, Buffalo plus 140. I don't think that there's any way that that's the line if Chad Henney is starting a quarterback for the Chiefs. So, Well, I- and, and Blake, Blake, I want to follow up with you on, on a point, kind of what you were talking about as far as, you know, what that line says and all of that. What 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 do you think the baseline is for this Chiefs team now? I mean, I, I know that it's easy as a fan to say, well, it's Super Bowl or bust from here on out when you have a dynasty with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and, and the crew there. But I, I think part of me thinks, okay, well, they, they got the divisional round game. I think if they had lost that game, I think fans can look back on that and say the season was a failure. That being said, I wonder your thoughts on, okay, do they have to win the Super Bowl for the season to not be considered a failure or what's where does the baseline stand now for Kansas City? The season's not a failure. 
Um, you know, I, I I'll I'll follow the Bills. I'll fall into the Bills self camp on this. Um, the Chiefs have had a uh, when you make the playoffs. I think that's a good year. It's a good year when you make the playoffs. If you win your division and make the playoffs, you're the number one seed. You've had a great year. Um, but you know, as Bill has said many times, you don't have a special year unless you are playing in the AFC Championship or playing in the Super Bowl. Unless you're in a conference championship or playing for the Super Bowl, you don't have a special year. So the Chiefs now have an opportunity to have a special year as they are back in the AFC Championship game for the third straight year. When's the last time somebody did that that wasn't New England? Yeah. Pretty incredible. So, you know, for me, I, I'm, I am not a, well, you have to win or it's a failure. It's not a failure. That That's, that's hysterically stupid to say that it could possibly be a failure when you're the number one seed. Um, yeah. W- would it have been not so great if they had just been one and out against Cleveland? Of course. But um, yeah, for me, once you're in the playoffs, you know, it's a good year, great year where you're the number one seed, great year when you win your division and the chiefs now have a, have a chance to make it a, a really special year by, you know, winning the AFC championship and, uh, and, and getting to the Super Bowl. Well, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm I, I can speak intelligently about either of the two topics that, that you two talked about. So Weston with Patrick Mahomes, I don't have that intelligence. Blake, of course, talking about whether or not the season you know can be judged as a success or a failure, depending on where where the Chiefs in their season. However, where I do want to come in and I do want to give my opinion on is the 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 I'm just going to flat out say it the balls that Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy had. <laughs> That last, that fourth down play with Chad Henney and Tyreek Hill. And, you know, this is a situation where, um, I'll be honest, I've been critical in the past of Andy Reid of being hyper conservative with a lead, you know, not doing enough to solidify a victory. Um, you know, sometimes I felt like playing not to lose as opposed to playing it to win the game. Um, but th- to go out um, with what a minute 20 left on the clock. Uh, a fourth and inches play. First off, before even that fourth and inches play, how about the balls at Chad Henney to scramble for 13 yards on third down uh, to even have a fourth and inch inches situation there? After he got it, it was close. It was very close. I, like I said, I did not watch the game. I listened to the entire game on uh, the radio, and Danon and Mitch on the Chiefs radio network they were they were going ballistic, saying that they 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 thought that the spot of that play was terrible. They it was hated close. that spot. See, and I yeah. that was my initial thought too. I thought the spot was really bad. But I even then watching the replay, though, I did think, okay, the spot's bad, but I do think he was still short. I think it put us like a fourth and one, really, and it should have been a fourth in the nose of the football instead of where they where they had that spot at. And and let's not forget that this is the same Chad Henney that the drive prior threw an interception, a bad interception in the end zone. Uh, and, And so coming back out there. With you know the not not to be over dramatic, but per, the season kind of hanging in the balance, you know, for Kansas City, um, the potential that maybe, but the potential to give the ball back to Baker Mayfield, and not only just give the ball back to Baker Mayfield, but give the Browns really good field position with a minute twenty left. 
where they were already going to be in Hail Mary <laughs> range at that call. point. I just, I'm just watching it on Bleacher Report on Twitter. That's a great call, by the way, on that play. Fourth, fourth and inches to have your backup quarterback throw the football to Tyreek Hill to move the chains. Um, everything that I've ever said critical of the play calling of Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy and being conservative when it really matters goes out the window. I will <laughs> never be ever be critical of that again. And it just shows how this team has matured. It's just shown, I think it shows me the level of trust that Andy Reid has in the veteran Chad Henney. It shows me uh, that the Chiefs were not content to go one and done in the playoffs this season, that their goal for sure is to run it back and to get to another game to where Patrick Mahomes can be back out on that field. I can't say enough good things about that that hyper-aggressive play call that they had to, to, to ice the game away. And you know what? In my opinion, and maybe... I don't know. I, I'm sure that hindsight's 2020, but uh, even if they hadn't have converted, I still probably would have been like, that was still an incredible play call. Uh, what do you guys think about it? I don't well, know if I would call look, it hyper, hyper aggressive. You know, look at how the Chiefs defense had played in that game. Chiefs yeah. held Cleveland to 204 yards of passing. Uh, you know, the, the rush yards for Cleveland, 22 for 112. I mean, it wasn't bad, but I thought the Chiefs defense played pretty well in that game. Did they get a little bit lucky with the fumble touchback? Sure. You know, don't fumble the football. That would be that would be better. But um, I thought that spot of the field, if you've got the best offense in the country, you have the best offense in the league. You should be able. And I and I did watch that play, Weston. It was inches. It was about the nose of the football on that play. Yeah. So you know, if you're thinking you can't get two inches, you know, you're probably not a very good football team, even if you don't have. Patrick Mahomes in there. So I I thought it was a good play call. I kind of thought that they would go for it as I was listening and listening to Mitch describe where they were out on the field near midfield with just inches to get. I thought that they would go for it. And I, I certainly think it was the right call. Even if they missed it, I think going for it was the right decision. Well, let, let's talk about the brilliance of, of why that, that call was so great, though, too, because – well, and I want to talk about that, but let's take a quick second. Did you guys not get a little bit of that uh, – Patrick Mahomes against the Titans run when you saw that Chad Henney, it's that same. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. There he goes. He's still going. Is he going to get this? That's the same thing we did with, with the Titans last year. But anyways, I think Chad Henney has probably, he has cemented a legacy now with the chiefs. If he doesn't play another snap for the chiefs, the the rest of his career, Uh, you know, he'll forever be remembered for this, but um, going back to that play call, I, I think the brilliance of it is, you know, and if you were paying attention to the, the TV broadcast, Tony Romo was losing his mind, right? Because yeah. they line up in, in, in gun. And so right there, kind of off, off the bat, you know, you're thinking, okay, they're not going to snap this ball. They're in gun. I mean, if they were going to actually run a play, they'd be under center. You're probably looking at a quarterback sneak, you know, turn around, hand the ball off to, to Daryl Williams, who who ran the ball incredibly well. Um, so they're in gun. Nobody's taking this serious, right? So at that point – you know, obviously you have your front four who are locked in on the ball. And I'm talking about the, the defensive linemen um, and expecting that if this ball were to be snapped, it's going to be a run. But other than that, your secondary guys, you know, are relaxed. And that's exactly what you saw. You know, you saw the wide receivers kind of looking back a little bit, you know, as like a, hey, let's get the play <laughs> call type of deal. And, and then they snap the ball. And here's the thing, e- even notwithstanding all those other things that just set up the success by the kind of the, the faking, like we're not going to snap this ball. It, it, 
you already have a, a defense that has to. They have no choice but to give Tyreek Hill four yards of separation. No choice, even in those circumstances. And so now you snap the ball. And there's, I mean, you cannot have, you can't be lackadaisical for one second and expect to cover Tyreek Hill on basically a, t- a two yard. It's not even an out. It's really, I mean, a, a drags across the field. I guess you'd call it that. Um, it, all in all, it takes is a millisecond for him to be opening to, to get the ball right to him. And that's such a simple throw. I, I mean, it was just a brilliant play call um, in one well, that we, of thing- course, the other thing, Weston, I just want to point out is that didn't they snap the ball with like 12 seconds left on the play clock? Yeah, so it wasn't absolutely. even like they let it get all the way down to where you're thinking, okay, they're really trying to, you know, get right. them to jump off sides or whatever. Like they, they did it quick and early in the play count too. Jim Nance was surprised. And, He's like, oh, there is a snap. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, my God. Yeah, Tony Romo turned into a WWE and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, they snapped the ball. <laughs> they, weren't, they weren't even, they weren't even set. They weren't even looking back. Like he, you thought it was like a, it sounded like that. Uh, um, I can't, I, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank. I used to watch wrestling all the time growing up, but the guy that's like, by God, it's Stone Cold Steve old, Austin. Old that's, that's what, old old JR. JR, JR. That's, right, that's right. That's right. That's what Tony Romo sounded like after they snapped that ball. He was just losing it. It was, it was fantastic. Mitch was slightly excited on the radio network too. Slight, slightly. Yeah. Excited <laughs> I that, can that imagine. Call. You know, such such a great play call, and you know, just really the the guts that that Chad Henney had coming off that interception. Like I just said, to come back and and it just ice the game, you know, for Kansas City. And I, I totally agree with you, Weston, about how you know Chad Henney has kind of cemented himself as far as the legacy is concerned with the Chiefs. And uh, and so yeah, all hats off to him for sure. The other offensive player that I want to point out, we all know that you know Tyreek Hill had a had a great game. We know that Travis Kelsey, of course, had a great game. But hats off so, to Daryl Williams, way, like I, you just mentioned. I had that. I believe I had Travis Kelsey having a good game. Well, you did, yeah, for sure. But hats <laughs> off to uh hats off to Daryl Williams. Um, you know, the fact that, you know, Le'Veon Bell kind of took a back seat, you know, in that game. Daryl Williams was the hot hand. Um, and there were several different runs that he had during the course of the game where I was like, Man, this kid is running the ball well. He's got a full head of steam. Um, you know, he's he's been able to break some tackles and uh pretty impressed with him, especially with the fact that you know Clyde Edwards Elaire did not play in that game. So I'm not sure how many of us have had Daryl Williams having a solid game on their on their bingo card, uh, you know. But at the end of the day, he was a huge contributor offensively for the Chiefs. Yeah, when when I make a good point like that, when I bring up how I was right about Travis Kelsey, you're supposed to hit the the accurate take horn. I you you totally you totally <laughs> missed that. I don't know why. Well, it's- we're, we're going to have to get you, you know, you're going to have to eventually learn that it's the hot take horn. So no. only poor takes. Ac- accurate, absolutely accurate take. Um, did, did anything else you have about this game, Weston? Because I mean, I think this Bills matchup. Uh, I actually think I don't, I'm interested to hear what Tommy has to say because I know that he kind of ripped you last week for saying that the Cleveland Browns were going to be a tougher matchup. I think that looking at the Bills, I might I might agree in, at least in these games. And I think the Packers are going to be the most difficult matchup in in the playoffs if the Chiefs get to the Super Bowl, but um this Bills game I think is really really interesting. 
Yeah. So last thing I'll touch on real quick before uh, to kind of wrap up the Browns game before we move into the Bills. Uh, just to answer your question, Tommy, you know about Daryl Williams. That you know, I think a lot of us that follow close know that the Chiefs love Daryl Williams. You not haven't necessarily seen that kind of production out of him, but the, the organization just loves that kid. Uh, but I, I am curious though if there's something going on with Le- Le'Veon Bell, it, and not necessarily because Daryl Williams uh, played so much or played well. Um, but just the complete lack of usage of Le'Veon Bell it wonders makes me wonder yeah. if there's just a little something more going on. But um, anyways, that you know, I think we'll kind of see how that shakes out. Hopefully, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is back this week, and then we won't have to to even you know necessarily be concerned about that. Um, but no, this uh, this Bills matchup. Look, here's here's the thing, and this is this is the point I was trying to to make about the Browns compared to the Bills absolutely across the board are a more talented football team, um, much better than the Browns. I just think the way that the, the Browns presented themselves created a created certain matchup problems for the chiefs. So on the flip side, when you go, when you talk about the Buffalo bills, look, they've got a, a great quarterback, uh, you know, emerging. He's, he's not Patrick Mahomes, but he is, he is a very emerging young quarterback has that it's pretty good. It probably, probably an identical as far as strength of arm goes. Those two have probably easily separate themselves from the rest of the quarterback groups, as far as just pure arm strength is concerned. Um, but then from there, they look. They don't run. They don't run the ball overly well. I, I'm not suggesting that they're bad at it. They had, um, they had Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. Zach Moss went on the IR. I want to say week 15 or so, but I'm I'm not exactly sure about that. Um, so they they were kind of splitting carries and and both, um, you know, had their moments of, of kind of having a hot hand. Neither of them, you know, overly productive. Nothing that you would be concerned about. Um, but they throw the ball well. They've got Stephon Diggs. Um, who they brought in from from Minnesota? Who is you know he's a burner. He's not Tyreek, but he's a burner. Uh, has created incredible chemistry with Josh Allen this season. And then they got Cole Beasley, who kind of runs the middle, um, you know, and gets those tough gritty yards uh, from the slot. So that's kind of what you look at from a, from an offensive perspective. And then on the defensive side, um, you know, their defense was honestly pretty poor the first half of the season. And when the Chiefs saw them, they were not playing their best football and they have really turned it around. They've kind of, um, they, well, they've played really good football, which if you look at the metrics, so, I mean, you can just pick whatever defensive stat you want or, or DVOA from the football outsiders. Um, you know, they've kind of risen to a middle of the pack defense, but that's because they've been playing, they played really bad in the beginning and they've been playing really well as of late. They've got Tredavious White at corner, who is probably one of the best corners in, in all of football. I don't think that he will shadow Tyreek. I don't, Frankly, I don't think Tyreek is a wide receiver that gets shadowed because his pure speed. I, I just think there's other things you have to do with that unless you have a corner who you think runs a 4-2-40, which is not Tredavious White. Um, he's he's very, very good, and he will be matched up with Tyreek a lot, but I, I don't think he'll shadow him. And then they don't really bring um, – they don't bring a ton of uh, – you know, on the front, and, and frankly, I'll be honest with you, I don't know about defensive scheme. I don't know if they like to blitz a lot or not. I haven't haven't gotten that far into kind of looking at the Bills, but their front four, um, they've got Jerry Hughes on on one end, and then they have uh, Mario Addison on the other. I mean, you're looking at Mario Addison had five sacks this season, and uh, Jerry Hughes had I think four and a half. Um, you know, which is which is fine. It's not bad. It's not good. Jerry Hughes had two sacks uh, so far in the in the postseason, so he's kind of come on, and he is a speed speed rush guy. But 
um, you know, on paper, the defense isn't anything that scares you. So I, I think you are going into this situation now, like Tommy mentioned, and this is kind of maybe a perfect segue for me to kick it over to him where he talked about, look, you know, I, he, I just don't think there's a lot of teams that can keep up with the chiefs. If you have to match them, you know, and I do think this is going to be a much more high scoring game because frankly, I, I think the bills have a good offense, but I don't think their defense is, is, is of the nature that can slow down the chiefs. So there are four teams left uh, overall, two in the AFC, two in the NFC. Other than the Chiefs, all three of those teams remaining, the Bills, the Packers, and the Buccaneers, all three of them can hang with the Chiefs. All, all of them can offensively. Um, and of course, the Bills will be the next matchup. Josh Allen and his complement of receivers can absolutely go point for point with Kansas City. Now, you look at the the first matchup that these two teams had, um, you know, the, in the regular season. It, it wasn't a shootout by any means. I mean, final score of that game was twenty six seventeen. But you know, since that time, week nine onward for the Buffalo Bills, they are averaging about thirty five points per game. Just under thirty five points per game are the Bills. They're so confident in Josh Allen right now that I don't know if you guys knew this, but the game uh, against the Ravens over the weekend. The first 13 plays offensively for Buffalo, all 13 of them were passes from Josh Allen. Um, so they're, they're supremely confident in the ability that Josh Allen has to throw the ball down the field. Um, and if I'm Buffalo, if I'm Sean McDermott, I'm absolutely confident in Josh Allen slinging that ball around to guys like Stephon Diggs and John Brown uh, and uh, and Cole Beasley and, and the whole receiving core that, that Buffalo has. So obviously the impetus is going to hang on Kansas city and the injury situation. And, and will Patrick Mahomes be back assuming that he is, will he be 100%? But even on top of that, what does the running game look like for Kansas city? We talked about Daryl Williams a little bit ago and how dominant he was and how solid he was in the game against Cleveland. Um, but I think having Clyde Edwards, Elair back is going to be huge going back to that regular season matchup with Buffalo, uh, I don't know if you guys looked at the stats on that at all, but it was the it was the second lowest total passing yard wise for Patrick Mahomes in the entire regular season. He only threw for 225 yards. The reason for that was because Buffalo let Kansas City run all over them on the ground and Chiefs running backs ran for 245 yards on the ground. So they invited the run game trying to limit what Patrick Mahomes could do. So my question for Sean McDermott, for Leslie Frazier, their defensive coordinator in in this game on Sunday is what's your game plan going to be this time? Are you going to try to go back to the well and do that again in the playoffs? Are you going to basically say, we'll let you, and if it's Clyde Edwards, E. Lair, great. If it's Le'Veon Bell, if it's Daryl Williams, we're going to let you guys get pretty much what you want on the ground. And we're going to do everything that we can to limit Patrick Mahomes. Or is the thought, Maybe Mahomes is not 100%, so maybe we don't need to um, buckle down so much on the passing game and we can kind of play more of a balanced defense. So that's kind of my question going into that game. But but my, my, my overall point is that as far as a matchup is concerned in the conference, from day one, I said the Bills were the most dangerous team, the most dangerous matchup, in my opinion, that the Chiefs could have. I think it's going to be a heavyweight fight on Sunday between these two teams. That's kind of my long and short of it. Uh, Buffalo didn't run the ball very well against Baltimore. Baltimore pretty much dominated them statistically and still lost the game. So I mean, maybe they had been playing well offensively. They didn't play well offensively last week. And, and I think how the Bills guard Kansas City will be interesting because in that first game, 
they pretty much made Patrick Mahomes play like Alex Smith. They did yeah. not blitz him. And this is a really interesting stat from USA Today. First time in the next-gen era, which start, started in two, 2016, that the defense did not blitz once the whole game. Didn't blitz once. And they played a lot of soft zone coverages. On the flip side, the Chiefs blitzed Josh Allen a lot in that game. They blitzed a lot. They blitzed him on 15 out of 31 dropbacks. And Allen didn't play particularly well in that game. The He had, of the 82 rushing yards, 84, of the 80 or so rushing yards that Buffalo had, he had half of them. The running backs for Buffalo were not effective against Kansas City last time. So, you know, the more that I see this and the more that I look at the stats, I can talk myself in to a Kansas City win, even if Patrick Mahomes is not on the field for Kansas City. You know, if you're telling me that the Chiefs can hold Buffalo to 17 points, and I know the Chiefs offense hasn't been exactly the level, the greatest show on turf that it was during the 50 touchdown season or even last season. You know, I can, I, in my mind, I can find 24 points for Chad Henney. You know, maybe a special teams touchdown. I can find 24 points. And I think if the Chiefs play well enough defensively, I think that the Chiefs can win this game. It'll come up on Jared Allen and how he handles the blitz. He got pressure. Josh Allen. Josh Allen. 55% of his dropbacks last time. He only averaged three and a half yards per attempt against the Blitz. If the Chiefs do that again, I think that the Chiefs have a fantastic chance of winning, even if Mahomes doesn't play. Well, and let's not forget that running back wise for Buffalo, Zach Moss is out. Um, you know, he just underwent yeah. ankle surgery, so he will not play. They're not a real uh, good running team. They only average like yeah. 108 a game, which is very uh, slightly below average, I think. So it looks like Devin Singletary will, of course, get the start. TJ Yeldon, the journeyman, is his backup uh, there in, in Buffalo. Um, yeah, I think for me uh, on the injury side for Kansas City, that's that's gonna be that's gonna come into play huge. And obviously, we've talked to death about what's going on with Patrick Mahomes. We've talked a little bit about Clyde edwards Lair and his injury. Will he or won't he play on Sunday? Uh, he was limited in practice on Wednesday with his ankle and hip injuries. That's a good sign for. Sunday. He at least participated in some way, so we'll see if he plays. Sammy Watkins was limited with a calf injury. On the defensive side, and, and this could be significant, and Weston, I'd love to get your thoughts on it, Bashad Breland, he had a concussion as well, kind of overshadowed um, by what was going on with Patrick Mahomes, but he was knocked out of the game on Sunday against the Browns. He's dealing with a concussion and a shoulder injury, as was Rashad Fenton. So two guys in the secondary uh, for Kansas City limited uh, and injured going into this weekend game and of course we've talked at length about what Josh Allen can do throwing the football what do you think that means defensively and especially in the secondary for Kansas City this weekend yeah I mean definitely anytime you're talking about depth in the secondary that's always an important thing but and I've talked about this you know kind of throughout the season but the flexibility that I think Tyron Matthew brings to this football team really helps when you are having depth issues you know because of injury i mean he you can move him around the field so much you can ask him to do so many different things um you know right now and frankly i, I guess i haven't seen a snap chart as far as whether bashad breland has been typically um lining up at the at an outside corner position or in the nickel 
Um, but at, at this point, he's our third best corner on this team anyway, between Charvarius Ward. And I, I am all on board with Legereus Steve being the second best corner. I mean, the, he has been just outstanding this year. Um, so, you know, you still have those two and then the flexibility of Tyron Matthew. But I mean, anytime you're talking, I mean, you will have three cornerbacks on the field, a significant portion of this game. So whether that's, um, you know, them actually moving Tyron Matthew to, to play that nickel or not, I think that is incredibly, um, you know, important. And maybe what you're going to see too is, you know, a name that we haven't talked a lot about this year, but we did the year before is Juan Thornhill. And, you know, he got hurt last yeah. year. And then frankly, uh, Daniel Sorensen has played so well this year. Juan Thornhill has just not been able to get back on the field. And maybe what you're going to see is is some some different packages where you've got Daniel Sorensen and, and Juan Thornhill at the safety positions. And then you have Tyron Matthew kind of roaming around, whether it's playing the nickel corner or um, just using him creatively, which I really like the idea of putting him in a bunch of non-traditional roles, especially when you have a young quarterback in Josh Allen, who's been really good, but doesn't have this extensive experience that, that another quarterback might have and, and where he's seen, you know, some of these different unique things that you can do with the honey badger. So that's kind of where I think they, they address it. I'm not overly concerned about Rashad Breland or Rashad Fenton not playing, um, you know, but of course th- there's no world in which cornerback depth isn't going to factor into some degree in, in, in a fo- in a playoff football game. Well, I'm going to take the, uh, the easy way out here and, and not do any kind of projections for this game, just because we don't know if Patrick Mahomes is going to play or not. I think that's going to be, that's going to greatly change the predictions one way or another. So um, I, I think we'll, we'll skip that for this week and uh, you Wait, know, the Chiefs Tommy, get no, a victory. Nope, Tommy, Tommy, forget that. I'm predicting path okay. playing in 34-31 Chiefs. Let's go. Uh, I've got the Chiefs. Button. I, I, I don't think that that's that accurate. I've actually got the Chiefs <laughs> plus seven. If Patrick plays, if Henny plays, Chiefs win by one in a game that is played in the mid-teens to low 20s. Uh, okay, well, I guess you guys are going to pressure me into it. If, uh, <laughs> have, some, have some Andy Reid cojones and make a freaking right, pick. playing, guys. God, terrible. Right, fair enough. If Pat plays, uh, the, the Chiefs win by a touchdown. Uh, I think the game will be probably in the upper 20s to low 30s. Um, if, uh, if, if Mahomes doesn't play, uh, I'm sorry, the Bills win the game. There's just no other way around it. I, uh, I don't think that that's that far-fetched at all. I, I, yeah. I, there is a great chance for Buffalo to win the game. I'm, you know, I think, Kenny, we saw it last year. Pat went down. Chiefs had a backup player, and I know it wasn't in the playoffs. They were able to just do enough to win those games and stay afloat. I think for one game, he may not be as good as he once was, but I think that Chad Henney, one time in the playoffs, can get it done, but it won't be. I mean, I, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for agreeing. You know, oh, God, it warms my heart to know that you have that much faith in Chad Henney. So the AFC Championship game will be this Sunday. Uh, kickoff is at 5.40 p.m. Um, inside Arrowhead Stadium. We'll have a full recap of that game next week on Keeper of the Games. Let's get into our college basketball roundup now. We're talking about the University of Kansas, the Jayhawks. They were back in action Monday evening, big Monday, on the road inside the Ferrell Center in Waco, Texas, taking on the Baylor Bears. 
uh, the game ended up with a final score of 77-69. Now, it was kind of a, a, a trashy way for the game to end as far as a banking three-pointer by Connor Tian at An the buzzer. three-pointer for some. Yeah, to cover the spread for sure as Baylor gets an eight-point victory. But, um, you know, the the game was in the teens for the most part as far as the deficit for KU was concerned uh, pretty much throughout the entire time. Uh, so, you know, another another loss for uh, the, the Jayhawks, of course, this time against a Baylor Bears squad that is one of the best, if not one of the, not the best team in the country, maybe aside from Gonzaga. Right now, Kansas sets with a record of 10-4. and four. They're four and three in the Big 12. Blake, I'll start with you. I asked you this question a week ago. I'm going to ask it again. How do you assess where the Jayhawks are right now? Uh, I mean, they're, they're losing to to very good teams. The thing that I look at when I look at Kansas right now, and I know a lot of people will say, oh, the offense is not shooting very well, only shot 39% in the first half. KU is not very good defensively right now. The, the, uh, Baylor shot 52% from the field in both those games. And Bill Self even said afterwards in post-game, I think it was actually post-game of the Oklahoma State game, he said, you know, I've had coaches call me and tell me, like, you guys are not guarding right now. When we think of Bill Self and and Kansas these last few years when he's been on this incredible run of Big 12 championships, KU has always been a phenomenal defensive team. And, and this year, I just don't think that KU is very good defensively. Jared Butler absolutely shredded. They, he shredded Kansas. Kansas got out-rebounded in the game by six. A lot of people are going to say, oh, it's all David McCormick's fault. It's all, it, you know, it's all him. David McCormick just came off a stretch where he scored at least 17 points in each game and shot about uh, 60 or yeah, 58 to 62% from the field. So I, I don't want to hear that it's all David McCormick's fault. He was minus two. He was in the plus minus. He was one of the best Jayhawks in the Baylor game. So th- don't, don't give me this. It's all David McCormick's fault. The, the perimeter players need to do a better job of guard. David McCormick isn't guarding Jared Butler, okay? It's not his job to keep him from going for 30. And Butler's a fantastic player. Absolutely a phenomenal player. 10 of 14. He was great. But for me right now, I look at defensively as a unit, help side. KU's not a very good defensive team right now. And and these kinds of losses where they give up these points to Oklahoma State and Baylor, unless KU turns things around dramatically defensively, this is about what we're going to expect. KU's going to be a good team, and if they put it together and they click defensively, they'll have a chance to go far. Or if they keep playing like they did against Oklahoma State and like they did against Baylor, it's going to be a struggle. It absolutely, you know, you, you take a look at the defensive effort and that's really where your eyes have to go to because yeah. when you look when you look offensively, the, 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 KU shot the ball pretty well. I mean, they shot 48% from the field. They shot 53% from beyond the arc. Um, but I, I here's the thing that I think the, just in watching that game and what I've seen um, this season, maybe more so than any other season is – You've got these teams, especially in the Big 12, that for some reason, when they play KU, they might be a horrible shooting three-point team, but they're making their three-pointers when they play KU. It's just kind of the way that it works, and Jared Butler was a prime example of that. I don't know if you guys watched the game against Texas Tech. He couldn't he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn, but he is draining three-pointer after three-pointer when he plays KU. That's not my point. My point is that 
you know, the Jayhawks find themselves down in these games, especially in the second half, and yet they're still feeding the post. They're still throwing the ball to David McCormick or Mitch Lightfoot. They they shot pretty well from three. It was nice to see Christian Brown have a good game from beyond the arc, kind of break out of his slump a little bit. Continue to feed the hot hand and shoot the three-pointer. That's the only way that you're going to get back in the game. And I just wish that the Jayhawks could rely on that a little bit more than what we've seen them be able to do so far this season. Matt, you look at Kansas right now, uh, to your point, third worst three-point defense in the Big 12, giving up 34%. The only teams that are worse are Kansas State and Oklahoma. That's not normally where I expect to see Kansas to be you know, in terms of three-point defense. And in the conference play, in conference play and Big 12 play, Kansas is second worst. Teams are shooting 38% from the three against Kansas in Big 12 conference games. So KU, normally the three-point line has been a big advantage. Right now, opponents have hit four more threes against them than the Jayhawks have been able to hit themselves. Well, you know, and frankly, I think the other thing that we needed to discuss to some degree, and and I understand I'm probably poking something that maybe doesn't need to be poked, but Marcus Garrett – you know, I mean, what he provides to this team is historically been the, this, you know, highly touted defense that he plays, right? Well, Jared Butler went off for 30 last night, and, and I get it. I'm not trying to pretend that, you know, this is just some, you know, some random team's player who just happened to have a hot night. Look, he's he's a very good player. But when, when, when what you bring to a team is almost exclusively defense – you've got to just see more out of Marcus Garrett. And I, and I didn't get to watch the whole game. So I'm sure there was certainly some, you know, plenty of moments, right. Where there's pick and roll Marcus Garrett, they get switched off of him and those kind of things. I know that that's not exclusively Marcus Garrett, but I mean, you have this supposedly, you know, incredible stopper. He's got to be able to show up, especially when, you know, we talk about on the other side of the ball, on the other side of the ball, he's not providing a whole lot. Now I know he did have, you know, eight assists and that's kind of why, in my opinion, I I do think he fits the best with the ball in his hands because, you know, he can dish it out or kind of run things in an efficient way. Uh, But boy, he's just, you know, he's, he's not going to do anything other than those two things. And if he's not, you know, playing a high level defense, you kind of have to question him playing 37 minutes. Uh, He's fourth in the league in assists and he's third in assist to turnover ratio. If we're going to put the blame on somebody and I blame is probably the wrong word. Jalen Wilson was not, was, was real bad. He was not good against Baylor at all. He was minus 16, two of seven, 22 minutes. And I mean, I know he's a young guy, but he did not help KU win in that game. I'm not putting blame on Marcus Garrett. Sure. I'm just saying, you know, when you're trying to keep firepower with the team that, I mean, Baylor is good. You, They're going to score points. That's going to happen. And if, if Marcus Garrett isn't giving you, and maybe that is just because that particular player is, I mean, he's one of the best in the nation, and you need to attack him defensively in different ways than just being able to say, okay, Marcus Garrett, go guard him. You know, there's plenty of that. There's plenty of times where we can say, Marcus Garrett, take their number one, do your thing. We'll focus on the rest. That wasn't the case with Jared Butler. It couldn't be. So when 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 Marcus Garrett doesn't provide you that, again, it's not his fault that Jared Butler is you know as good as he is. I just think playing him 37 minutes doesn't necessarily make sense when you know that you've got to be able to keep up with Baylor. And, and it is what it is. But I agree. I mean, Jalen Wilson also just, you know, 
not being as efficient as he normally was. Yeah, I think I think my question would be, okay, all right, if you're not going to play Marcus Garrett for thir- you know for less than 37 minutes, if you're going to pull him, who are you going to put in? I mean, I know you've got yeah. Dewan Harris, you know, who's there that he can run the point sort of, but he's you know he's a young kid. Um, you know, I, there are a lot of things that he doesn't quite do to the level that Marcus Garrett does. Um, so I, that would be my question: is who who are you going to who are you going to replace him with? And you know, I, I think that they're. My only, just sorry, I just want to jump in just real quick to answer your question. My, and I'm not saying this is a great answer, but probably who I would like to see get some more minutes is in Aruna. He shoots the ball really well. You definitely, you're losing some defense. And I think that's why he doesn't play as much. Um, but, you know, if you're looking for that firepower, I'd love to see Inaruna get some more minutes. So, sorry, I just want to jump in because yeah. that was my thought on that. No, I'm glad that you brought up Tristan Inaruna because I was going to kind of transition to him. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw this stat or not, but uh, Inaruna played for nearly 18 minutes uh, in that game against Baylor. And Kansas played Baylor even during Inaruna's time on the floor. Uh, and so he he would prove to be incredibly valuable and did a lot of things on both sides of the ball that kept Kansas in that game. Um you know, it was the times that he was not on the floor when KU fell behind uh, to Baylor. And so I think that there's, you know, I, I think that you can look at, okay, there are some issues with guard play, specifically Marcus Garrett. But then obviously there are some issues in the post as well. It's been well documented, David McCormick struggles. I love Mitch Lightfoot. I've always loved Mitch Lightfoot. He didn't bring a whole lot of value against Baylor, at least in my mind, my opinion on that. So I think you have to start looking at it. Are there scenarios where the best offense or the best squad in general that Bill Self can put out on the floor is a five guard lineup? And I think that includes a guy like Tristan and Aruna to get extended minutes. I know that there are obviously limitations to that, especially if you're playing a team uh, that, that has a lot of length or, you know, somebody pretty dominant in the post. But if you're not, playing a team that has that particularly, then I think that's something you need to consider is maybe it's time to, you know, play a little bit more of a five guard lineup and maybe open up some other opportunities. I mean, I know you guys, I, I like Tristan and Aruna too, but I mean, let's not make him into Jeff Boshi here. He's three for 13 from the three point line this year. That's not exactly what I would call a great three point. shooter. He's three of 13. That's a fact. That's not a take. Three for 13 from the three-point line. That's 23%. So you you want to bank on Tristan Anaruna coming in and bailing you out with three-point shooting, I mean, go for it. But the stats do not demonstrate that he's a great three-point shooter. They don't. I'm just, I'm just saying that he was able to keep Kansas even with Baylor during his time on the court. That, that's my only point. No, I mean, well, I, and I get it. And the, the plus-minus, I mean – we bring that up. It, it, the more that you play, the worse it's going to be. So, I mean, it, it, it's not it's not the be all end all. So, I'll, I'll just say that on plus minus. But well, you know, and that's, I, I get what that's you're saying. Same, and that's the same with shooting, though, too. Because I, I mean, I think you're right. We have not seen a definitive stretch from Tristan Erner. I would like to see him play more. I've said, you he's know. The, I, Again, the right. Oklahoma State I mean, game, he was a huge reason of why Kansas uh, Kansas was able to come back in that game. Big reason. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we haven't we have nothing to hang our hat on to say, hey, look, he is the second best shooter on this team or whatever, and he needs to get more minutes. But what you know, you you brought up the stat of three for thirteen. You know, I think anytime you have a shooter, if he's only getting thirteen shots, it's hard for him to get into any type of groove to show that he can be there. So 
you know, my thought of him being a good shooter and needs to get more shots could be proven right or wrong. But I, I do think you got to give a shooter just the opportunity, right? And that's kind of where, where my position comes from of like, I wish he could just play more to see if he could get into a groove and, and really help the team, you know, if he was maybe playing a little bit more minutes. I mean, I, and I get that, but when you've got Marcus Garrett, who's by far your team leader in assists, yeah. by far your team leader in assist to turnover ratio, he's third in the league in assist to turnover ratio, leads your team in steals, and David McCormick, who is second on the team in rebounds and I'm not saying he shouldn't be, have more rebounds uh, Jalen Wilson has actually at least in my mind I've been surprised at how good he's typically rebounded the basketball they didn't have a great day against Baylor but you know probably nobody played great except for Christian Brown against Baylor but you know I, I can't justify getting McCormick out of the lineup right now he leads the team in shot blocks um, the, the thing that I think that McCormick needs to work on He's got 26 turnovers. He's got the second most turnovers on the team as a post player. When he gets the ball, it, it needs to be either a pass to an open shooter or at least just get a shot up. He, he can't be turning over the ball as much as he is. KU right now on the year has only turned it over three less times than their opponents. And typically I think, I mean, I'd have to go back and look. I think KU is a little bit better in the turnover ratio than that typically but but this year they've been then level and i think that is among the other things that you and and tommy have talked about is what leads to a 10 and 4 record yeah you know and that's just kind of the way that things line out right now for for the jayhawks it's been a a tough stretch for ku they've dropped two games in a row of course they had that game scheduled with iowa state last week that ended up being uh postponed and called off because of covid19 issues within the cyclones program um but you know at the end of the day it, it is what it is uh the jayhawks have lost two in a row they're on the road in norman oklahoma this weekend to take on the sooners now if you'll remember the last time KU played the Sooners inside Allen Fieldhouse. Oklahoma was without Brady Manick. Uh, I don't know what his status is. I know that at least his most recent game, he was out uh, for the Sooners, but it'll be a question mark about whether or not uh, he plays. If he is, will he be effective and what he can do uh, against the Jayhawks? And then their next game will be uh, back inside Allen Fieldhouse next Tuesday as they take on TCU. The other point for Kansas before we move on is Bryce Thompson. Uh, of course, he suffered an injury, a broken right finger in that game against the Cowboys from Oklahoma State. Bill Self had an update on Tuesday, said that he, the recovery from that, uh, that surgery from that broken finger has gone well, but no timetable yet on when Thompson could return. He's, uh, he's missed... Um, missed of course the last game uh he could return to light shooting drills two or three weeks after surgery and could return to the lineup anywhere from a month to seven weeks out from now but it does look like KU should get Bryce Thompson back before the end of the season which I think that's been a big question mark you know Thompson has kind of been had kind of been the sixth man off the bench for Bill Self and now it's kind of like who do we go to on the bench who you know who's that next guy going back to that whole conversation we just had about Tristan and Aruna. So uh, I think that it's going to be obviously important to get Bryce Thompson back as soon as possible and see how he can contribute to the Jayhawks squad. Any final thoughts on KU before we move on? Play defense. The only thing I'll, and the only thing I'll add is just to be clear, I'm not advocating that Marcus Garrett play less moving forward. I just think there's certain circumstances. I don't, I don't want our listeners to be like, wow, this – this group, what are they talking about? <laughs> Trying to say Marcus Garrett, the defensive God, player of the year Bill, last year. He wants Marcus Garrett to transfer? Yeah, what's up there's, with that? 
plenty of other reasons to think that, you know, to tune us out and not listen to us. I just don't want that to be the one. Yeah, I hope not. Yeah. Yeah. No, there are a lot of reasons why people should turn us off. Um, so if we, can, <laughs> if we can not add to that, that'd be awesome. Hey, let's get into Wichita State Shocker basketball. Um, not a lot to talk about really with the Shockers. They've not been in action since our last episode. We, we were recording our last episode right after the Shockers beat Tulsa at home inside Charles Coke Arena. They've not played since due to COVID-19 cancellations. Their next scheduled game is Thursday night on the road taking on Memphis. Uh, and then they're, uh, from there, they they had to have a, have a few days off before they play on the road at Cincinnati. One of the big stories that came down just a couple of hours ago is that their their game this coming Sunday versus USF, the University of South Florida, has been postponed due to a COVID-19 case uh, inside the USF program. So that game has been called off. So, uh, Blake, I'll just ask you the fact that the Shockers have had these interruptions. I mean, I know it's not uncommon for teams around the country, but they haven't played in a week. They'll play one game and then they'll pretty much take a, another week off. How would that affect a team like Wichita State? Well, it, hard to say. I, I feel like with maybe the new head coach and things kind of being fluid this year as it is, uh, maybe this team is better equipped to handle that. Maybe with Coach Brown, they're going to be you know more mentally ready to, to have these interruptions because you had to have the expectation that was going to be the case coming in. The thing that I'm really concerned about is Wichita State just being able to get these games in. Joe Lenardi released his updated bracketology as of January 19th earlier this week. Wichita State currently, uh, Kansas, by the way, was on the three line as of this week on the 19th. Now, obviously, better start playing better or you're going to be out of that top four seating. But, uh, and to your point earlier, Tommy, Gonzaga in his mind is the overall number one seed and Baylor is the number uh, the number two overall number one seed right now. Yeah. Wichita State is in the next four out. They're 74th right now behind San Diego State, Richmond, Maryland, Marquette, Syracuse, VCU, and Wichita State. I still think that this is an NCAA tournament team. But they're going to have to play. They're not going to get into the tournament if they're not able to play these games. So I think for, for Shocker fans, that's the number one thing that I would be most concerned about right now is just can we get these games in? Because I think if they play, I think that they are in control of their own destiny as of right now. I think that if they if they win the vast majority of their games, only lose a couple, and if they beat a team like Houston, a number 11 in the country right now, I think that they will be in the tournament. But if games keep getting canceled, that's kind of out of their hands. So if I'm a Shocker fan, the more games we can get made up, we still have not gotten any word on that ECU makeup game. So it looks like that might be three games in four days coming up in Wichita as they've got a home game that Wednesday before they're supposed to play at ECU on a Saturday. And the conference has already said, because that was an ECU cancellation because of their coronavirus protocols, it's going to be a doubleheader at Coke arena against the pirates. So you would think those would be two winnable games. Um, I'm just concerned that we're getting to that point in the season where making up these games, you just don't have time. We're seeing it in the MIAA right now, uh, in Division Two basketball. We're getting to that point of the year where once you get into February, I mean, NCAA is moving back the tournament. You've got a, a certain date that you got to get your conference tournament played by, and you better have your games in. And so I just hope that the Shockers 
can get enough games to keep their momentum. Obviously, it's it's a challenge playing in such a choppy manner. But I think Coach Brown, from everything I've seen, from, from seeing the Shockers play, you know, so inconsistently in terms of time, I think that they've played fairly consistently as a group and pretty well. So I think that they're equipped to handle it because they've shown that they've been handling with handling it with just how they've played over these last few weeks. Here's what my concern is, and I'm looking at the same bracketology that that you looked at with Joe Lenardi, which, by the way, can I say, I love the fact that Joe Lenardi is back. It's my favorite time of year when he comes around with his bracketology. It just makes me really, really happy. Um, but I'm looking at that, too, and I'm less concerned about the fact that Wichita State is the next four out because there's a long way to go, right? A lot of basketball. I'm, I'm, I'm less concerned about that. What I'm more concerned about, and this goes back to what Weston said a week ago, is that there's only one American team other than Wichita State even listed, and that's Houston on the two line. There's nobody else. And so my concern would be, what what are the odds that the American can get multiple teams in? And then if, you know, what happens if Wichita State finishes third in the American, if they finish fourth in the American, what does that strength of schedule look like? And I know, Weston, that's been a concern of yours. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, obviously, I'm just kind of reiterating what I what I said last week is, I, you know, we don't know, because here's the thing, how do you get quality wins, right? And it's an evaluation. So like to, you know, to Blake's point, you know, Blake was kind of saying, hey, look, I think there are, you know, four or five really good teams in the American Conference. And if, so if you're getting some of those wins, those are going to be quality wins. Well, you know, it's just going to be this is just such a different year is from an evaluation standpoint for that for that committee to to pick who's going in. You know, are they going to end up looking at the American and go, okay, well, Wichita State finished second, but they beat the other American teams that we don't value, you know, as much. You know, I, I think the path for a second place team in the American or possibly a third is if number two and number three really separate themselves from the rest of the pack in the American. And and maybe if, you know, if Joe Lenardi's fairly accurate and in, in where we're kind of at in the season, maybe it's really only going to be the top two. If Houston and then whoever else separate themselves out, as opposed to kind of everybody eats each other, like you always see with the, with SEC football, right? It's like, well, if Wichita state's playing so-and-so and that, you know, everybody just kind of keeps beating each other and then Houston beats everyone. Well, shoot. Now you got a conference with, with one, you know, team that's got a great record and it looks like nobody else, even if those teams are quality basketball teams, unfortunately, just where we're at in this evaluation is, is making folks determine is the American a a great conference as a whole. So, uh, you know, I think it's going to be tough. I I think it just makes whether, whether this discussion we're having is right or wrong. I think as a Shockers fan, you can certainly identify the importance of winning every basketball game you can from here on out. And not that, that it's never not important, but I mean, truly winning out or, or getting as close to that as possible could be the difference in getting in the tournament or not this year. I think the road wins are going to be big too, just because of the net, yeah. the NET, and and how things. Because there's not that non-conference evaluation, though. You know, Wichita State. You know, they're going to get help with strength of schedule. Um, boy, if they could have beaten Missouri, that would have been fantastic. To because Missouri is currently on the six line, and Oklahoma State is currently on the eight line. That was a three-point loss that the Shockers certainly could have had. So. You know, you look at, at 
at Wichita State right now, there were a couple of opportunities, but without having that large crossover non-conference schedule, you know, there was no real big tournament for the Shockers this year, and like it was for a lot of teams. I think that in that in that net rankings, I think the road wins are are a really going to be a really big component, and that might end up to bite the Shockers because if they're supposed to go play at ECU and then the American says, well, guess what? You got to go to Wichita. I mean, sure, you'd probably rather have a win, but it's also taking away the opportunity to get a road win in conference play. So, uh, you know, like you said, this is a way different animal. And I think this will be the most difficult year for the selection committee in terms of trying to pick these, you know, what's it end up being 47 or you know, however many, you know, non-conference or at-large bids, the 30-plus at-large bids that they get to select, I think it's going to be really, really difficult to try to find those teams and get the right teams in for for the tournament, you know, with, with all of the challenges that the teams have faced. I think an equal number of challenges is facing the selection committee trying to trying to set the field this year. Well, yeah, still a lot of basketball left and and a lot of work to do for Wichita State to improve where they stand right now as far as Joe Lenardi is concerned with bracketology. But one of the players that can certainly help the Shockers move up uh, when it comes to where they're ranked is Morris Udezi, who was named the American Athletic Conference Player of the Week for his efforts last week for the Shockers. He scored a career-high 20 points and matched another with eight rebounds uh, when they beat Tulsa 72-53 a week ago. He was 6-7 of seven for the field and 8-9 of nine at the foul line. Uh, he also scored 18 points in the previous game against Cincinnati. That was the, the day before that last week uh, was considered for the conference. But still, he's averaging a team uh, second 9.4 points per game. Blake, this is a player that as recently as the offseason was in the transfer portal. Uh, amidst all of the issues and all of the drama with Wichita State. And now he's the American Conference Player of the Week for last week. He's shown up big for Wichita State. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, a guy that you absolutely want to have positive attitude. Coach Brown has talked about that. And a guy who can be really diverse, really physical, uh, has done a good job of not turning the ball over as much. We just talked about David McCormick. He's only got 17 turnovers in 11 games. Leads the Shockers in blocks. I think provides them some really important inside balance offensively because you've got a lot of outside guys on the Shockers who can score. You've got Etienne. You've got Gilbert. You've got Council and Dexter Dennis. He's really the only guy that I think of in terms of post players that that stands out as being, okay, this is a guy that you can rely on to score down there in the painted area. And I think when you have so many good guards, I think it really helps to space the floor out and balance everything when you've got Morris Udesi playing like he is right now inside. I don't know if he can keep averaging – I don't know if he's going to average 20 points a game the rest of the year, but if he can be in that double digit and be – kind of a you know like a a 12 and 5 kind of guy i'd like to see more rebounding only averaging 3.3 rebounds a game but if he can be a 12 and 5 guy you know i i really like wichita state's chances to to push against houston and and maybe even to, to beat the cougars in the return trip to wichita coming up in february you know one thing one thing that i'll add and it's gonna almost i don't know sounds kind of silly but i think truly will help wichita state uh, with the selection committee, if they don't get an automatic bid, is name recognition. You know, I, I think this year more than any other year, you know, that selection committee may kind of rely on, 
you know, things outside of the norm. Yeah, you know, they're just, it doesn't just, mean anything. Right. And they're just going to feel like, oh, it's Wichita State. Like they're good every year or, you know, typically have been good every year. And I think that those small little things are going to make a difference in a year when it's just so hard to separate teams out. So I think Wichita State does have that going for them for sure. Here's the most impressive stat uh, from Morris Udezi so far this season. He's shooting a whopping 58.5% from the field this season. Uh, with the season we're to end today, that would be the second highest season percentage by a shocker in the last 30 years wow. behind a guy by the name of Ryan Martin. I don't know if that name rings a bell. One of Mark Turgeon's guys from the 2006-2007 season, he shot 58.8% wow. uh, from the field. Uh, so that's a huge, that's an impressive stat for Morris Udezi, assuming that that can continue as the season goes on. And it will continue for the Shockers as, again, they're on the road taking on Memphis uh, Thursday evening. That game, I believe, is nationally televised on ESPN2. So should yep, be on the deuce. Should, yep, good be, uh, should be good exposure uh, for Wichita State. Then, of course, their game Sunday, like I mentioned, against USF is postponed. They'll be back in action on the road uh, against Cincinnati uh, next Wednesday. That's our Shocker update. Very briefly, a quick Kansas State Wildcat basketball update. Uh, the the Wildcats, it's <laughs> kind of gone from bad to worse uh, for them a little bit. They got walloped by the Sooners. Final score of that game, 76 to 50. Uh, right now, the Wildcats have an overall record of 5 and 10. They are 1 and 6 in the Big 12. Um, Dewan Gordon, he was the highlight for the Wildcats. He did score 13 points uh, in the loss for K-State against Oklahoma. I don't know, guys. I'm trying to find some kind of redeeming quality, something positive to really talk about with this Wildcat squad. I'm coming up with nothing. Maybe you guys have something, but I certainly don't. Oh, well, I'll add uh, just something for Wildcat fans to watch. Uh, freshman Luke, uh, and I think it's pronounced um, Kasubki, is finally cleared to play, and I think he played uh, against Oklahoma. Um, he scored 1,500 points in his prep queries at a Chaminade in St. Louis. Uh, not necessarily one of the most highly touted of, of that class, but he, he really, really shoots the basketball well. So obviously I think, you know, Bruce Weber and that crew looking forward to having him back on the court, um, adding a spot shooter can be so, you know, helpful for a team and not saying that, that he by any means is going to change the outlook of this season. Just mostly, I think for Wildcat fans, you're kind of looking at the future, right? So he's someone to kind of watch as, as this season winds down and, and comes to an end, uh, you know, see and how some of these young guys play Luke. And I think it's, uh, Kasubki uh, is is a name to watch and, and enjoy for the rest of the season. Kansas State was playing fine. They led by five with six minutes left, and then they absolutely fell off of the tracks. As Oklahoma, they scored 13 straight points over a four-minute stretch to take the lead at the half. It continued going a 12-0 run to start the second half. Mike McGurl did not play well. I know plus minus isn't everything, but he played 28 minutes. He was minus 25 for Kansas State. One of nine from the field with three points for Kansas State. I thought Kansas State, uh, listening to the game, and by the way, congratulations to Wyatt Thompson, the uh, National Sports Media Association, Kansas play-by-play broadcaster of the year. I hadn't listened to a Kansas State game in a while. It was great to hear him do a game. He does a fantastic job. Sadly, uh, they didn't They didn't look real good, and it wasn't real good to listen to because in the second half, Kansas State was just listless offensively. They committed 20 turnovers. They were minus 13 in the turnover ratio. Uh, They gave up 
46 uh, percent shooting to to Oklahoma and when you get out rebounded when you out rebound your opponent by 14 and you are getting annihilated by 26 that's a real bad sign when you can beat someone on the glass that badly and still lose by 26 Kansas State has got offensive issues right now and you know when Mike McGurl when he goes one for nine Kansas State's not going to have a whole lot of success. And and that that stretch there with the last six minutes of the first half and then the first five to ten of the second half, Kansas State was really, really bad. The first 15 minutes, they played pretty good. They got good looks, were playing tough defense, but their defense absolutely evaporated in the middle of the game. And it was really on Kansas State's offense. Oklahoma, Some of Oklahoma's best offense was Kansas State's offense. Oklahoma was 20-6 to in points off turnovers. You, you cannot turn the ball over 20 times against a team like Oklahoma or really against any Big 12 team and expect to win. So um, offense was sloppy in that period. Uh, just not, not a real good look for Kansas State in that game, especially around halftime. Yeah, it was the fifth straight loss for the Wildcats. Um, you know, like you mentioned, Blake, they had a, a season high in turnovers with 20, a season low in points. I guess to sum it all up uh, from Bruce Weber, his quote was, Obviously, we got our butts kicked again. Um, <laughs> I saw that. That that was his uh, that was his quote after the game. Oh, it's not going to get yeah, it's not going to get any easier for the Wildcats this Saturday. They welcome prodigal son Bob Huggins home to Bramlage. I don't think that's the way that it is, but um, welcoming uh, the West Virginia Mountaineers, who are 14th in the nation, uh, into Manhattan, uh, and then after that, they go on the road to the Ferrell Center to take on the number two ranked Baylor Bears. If Kansas, who is ninth in the country, loses by eight and had a deficit in the teens the entire game. Uh, I can only imagine what it's going to be uh, when when the Wildcats visit Waco. Um, that should be a, a lot of bloodshed uh, for sure uh, on that court. So a really tough couple of game stretch for the Wildcats, who again, like I mentioned, are setting at five and ten overall on the season, uh, and they are one and six in the Big Twelve. Texas A and M is seven and five, by the way, in that Big Twelve SEC Challenge. I know Weston was asking about games they could win rest of the season. Might be looking at your old Big Twelve friends, the Aggies. I might they might help you out possibly. Yeah, that might be it. Um, but uh, yeah, so things are not looking great there in Manhattan. Yeah, for after sure. that, they got Kansas on the road, Texas Tech, and Texas. After that, oh man, not a good season to be a Wildcat fan for sure. No. Not at all. That's our college basketball roundup here on Keeper of the Games. We're going to go back to Kansas City just for a brief moment and follow up on our discussion from last week about Eric Bieniemy and Weston. I'm going to go right to you because you were adamant when we were talking a week ago that all of the Eric Bieniemy discussion about him potentially not getting an NFL head coaching job was all smoke screens and that you know it was it's the it's the era of deflection and distraction. But here we are a week later there are only two openings left we're looking at uh you know both the eagles and the texans with the head coach openings and eric Bieniemy still is not uh, a head coach anywhere uh your thoughts are you going to walk back that assertion from last week uh well i still there i have no doubt in my mind he is going to get a head coaching job i think he'll be the head coach of the houston texans but i, I mean absolutely i i mean i had to have been wrong right to some degree on the smoke screens just by how many jobs have already gotten and filled up um i think a lot of teams have made some poor decisions by passing over on eb um 
But I, I think where this is going, I think all this talk about Deshaun Watson getting traded out of, out of Houston, that is not happening. The haul it would take to get him away from Houston, it's not happening. Him sitting out of season is not happening. They have got to make him happy. And he's already made clear that he wanted Eric Bieniemy in at least for an interview. Eric Bieniemy is going to get that Houston Houston Texan jobs, um, which I think is a good fit for him. Or Deshaun Watson is good for him. There's a lot of roster um, problems there. Uh, they've Bill O'Brien managed that thing into hell, and there's you know they need some. They're lacking in the draft capital department, but uh, just pairing. Eric Bieniemy with a quarterback like Deshaun Watson, I think is going to be outstanding. I think that's something they can really build around. I think bringing EB into Houston is going to help them turn around this perceived notion of a of terrible culture there in Houston and, and maybe help some guys want to come into Houston. So I'm still standing by. He's going to get a head coaching job, but I mean, I have to be wrong about some of the smoke screens, right? Because clearly, I mean, we had all these teams, just pull the trigger on other guys. So uh, I think I definitely missed the mark there. Yeah. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, and I, I tweeted this uh, a few days ago, if I'm Eric Bieniemy, I know that he wants to be a head coach. I know he's qualified to be a head coach. I know he should be a head coach, but if I'm Eric Bieniemy, I'm going to give Houston the middle finger and go back to Kansas city. <laughs> and, and I'm, and I'm going to wait another year because of the fact that it was pretty well documented that Houston they weren't really interested in Eric being in the first place. And, and in my opinion, and I don't know if this is the case or not, I don't have any sort of insider information, but it's hard for me to not think that this is a way for Cal McNair and the leadership, the new GM uh, there in Houston to try to placate Deshaun Watson to keep him around and not ship him off because he wanted Eric Bieniemy to get an interview. They weren't willing to give Eric Bieniemy an interview in the first place. And this might be a way to keep Deshaun Watson to stay in the fold there in Houston. So if I'm Eric Bieniemy, I'm like, look, there's a lot of dysfunction here. I know I want to be a head coach. I would like to coach a guy with at the caliber of Deshaun Watson, but you guys didn't want me at first. So why would I want to come around and be your sloppy seconds? Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen, but the, the way that I've kind of read uh, and, and looked into how Houston has handled this entire search has led me to believe that, again, if I'm Eric Bieniemy, I'm going to tell him thanks, but no thanks. I think that his best chance is going to be for those reasons is going to be Philadelphia. Um, the, the Eagles, uh, this is what the Eagles can provide. The Eagles provide two dynamic quarterbacks. So if I'm Eric Bieniemy and I think, boy, you know, Carson Wentz was an MVP player. Um, I want to coach that guy. He, he would go to Philadelphia or if he looks at Jalen hurts and says, boy, the guy won, you know, was part of a national championship culture at Alabama, part of uh, a really, really big year at Oklahoma and came in this year. And now he, his last few games were pretty much clunkers, but he looks up there and sees the potential and how he played the second half of the season. And, and let's be honest too. You only got to win about eight games to win the NFC East. It's so bad. So you can just be average and win division championships and probably keep your job for forever in Philadelphia. So if he looks up there and says, boy, I really want to coach Carson Wentz or I really want to coach Jalen Hurts, I think he would go to Philadelphia. My, of course, you know, counter argument would be, come on back. We got Patrick Mahomes. What, what, you don't want to go up there to Philadelphia. They boot Santa Claus. Houston's a dumpster fire. All, you're going to be getting rings. To be, do you not like wearing rings? I mean, I, Eric Bieniemy looks like a guy who likes his jewelry. 
I mean, I'd like to fit him up for a couple more Super Bowl rings. So that that's my counter argument. Come, come, coach. Fit number fifteen in red and gold. Yeah, you're going to have a lot more fun with him than you're probably going to have with anybody up in Philadelphia or Houston. So just stay here. Come on home, Eb. Come on back. Well, and, and here's my thing too: uh, is that again, I'm sure that guys like Brandon Staley and Dan Campbell and Robert Sala, I'm sure that they are are they're, they're quality coaches. I'm sure that they're solid. I'm sure that they're good at what they do. Wouldn't take them over, Eb. Um, I wouldn't take him over Eric Bieniemy. Over Eric Bieniemy. Of course, we're biased. We're Chiefs fans, but at the end of the day, I think these teams last year and this year are making grave mistakes by not bringing on somebody like Eric Bieniemy. And and yeah, I'll just reiterate what I said before. If I'm Eric Bieniemy, I'm sticking around in Kansas City again. I'm going to try it again, maybe third times a charm after next season, because I'm certainly not interested in going to the dumpster fire that is the Houston Texans at, the, at, the, at this point. Um, and that's kind of where I stand. Weston, anything else you wanted to say on that? The only thing I'll add on on kind of both both of your thoughts. One, Philly. I think it's the wrong opinion from Philly, but I have a feeling that the opinion will be we cannot bring in another assistant coach, the past offensive coordinator from Andy Reid to follow Doug Peterson. I think that's an incorrect take, but I I think they will absolutely consider that as far as whether the how the fan base will perceive the hire. Um, I think he'd be a great fit. I think everything you said, Blake, makes makes a ton of sense. I just worry that that will creep into the back of their minds and not give him a fair shake. Okay. Um, Andy, though, she, like Andy Reid was exactly chopped liver in Philadelphia, by the way. Yeah, not exactly. Yeah, yeah, he no. didn't win. Any, he won like how many times? Take the NFC Championship. So it's not like he had a no, bad run in Philadelphia. I, I get it, and it's not about Andy Reid as much as it is of of them firing Doug Peterson. That's oh. more, more my concern there. But going to Houston again. I, 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 both of you, I think, made great points. So, and I hear what you're saying, Tommy. But the thing about getting that first job as a head coach, you kind of get one shot, one opportunity to win, to show you can win. Because if you if you or if you're a head coach for three years and it doesn't work out, you may never get another opportunity. So going to know. Houston and pairing with Deshaun Watson, I think that makes you an immediate winner to some degree. He's going to win you football not, not last year, and uh, that's a good yeah. that's a good place to start. Tell that, tell that to Josh McDaniels, who left uh, New England, went to Denver, had a terrible run in Denver, went back to New England, and now he's still getting head coaching opportunities. In fact, uh, well, the last thing I read, the last thing I read was that he, the Eagles requested permission to interview him again. Uh, well, so yeah, tell that to a guy like Josh McDaniels that you get one always, chance to win and then that's it. There's always exceptions, but I mean, how many first-time head coaches do you see never, never get to coach? You know, head coach sure. again. I think getting it, getting and wherever it is, I think Eb, you know, he just wants a job. I get that, but also going to a place where he can win, I think is going to be a, is huge for him. So, but you know, if you're if you're a great if if you're a great coach, any guy right thinks, oh well, I'm I'm going to go and make this place a winner. That's what I do. Like anybody's going to have that mindset. So I, I understand. I mean, if Romeo Crennel can bounce back and get a second head coaching opportunity, oh, Romeo. Eric Bieniemy can bounce back and get a second head coaching opportunity. Come on. Hey, uh, the oh, other Romeo. example that all. The other example I'll give is Adam Gase, you know, who was in Miami and sure. went to New York and went 0-13, you know. So these guys are consistently getting multiple chances. I think that Eric Bieniemy, if 
if he if he spurns the Texans because they spurned him first, I think he will still have multiple opportunities. I, I'm all about he should have been a head coach a year ago. He absolutely should be a coach this year. But I if I'm him, I'm just saying, you know what, it's not even worth my time. And if I'm a Chiefs fan, come on back. Let's just pay him an extra million dollars and just say, hey, you know, just be a head coach here with Andy Reid. Just pay him, pay him an extra million dollars. Just keep him. Well, well, as it, as it stands right now, Eric Bieniemy is still without a head coaching job, and we'll we'll keep you posted if any of that changes in the next week or so. We're going to get into a, a segment here on the show that, just for lack of a better term, I'm calling news and notes. We're not going to dive in and discuss these things at length, but it's worth at least mentioning them. And we're going to start with the Kansas City Royals. Wade Davis is returning to the Royals. Of course, uh, Davis was a huge part of the 2015 World Series run for Kansas City. They agreed on Wednesday to a minor league contract. Davis is 35 years old. He'll go to spring training and he'll try to earn a spot on the major league roster. This is very, very similar to the contract that Greg Holland had with Kansas City last year when he returned to the Royals and it looks like the Royals are trying to go back to that well and bring back veteran pitchers that were part of their successful run a few years ago. Uh, so Weston, I'll start with you just very quickly. Your thoughts on Wade Davis returning to Kansas City. I mean, if you're a Royals fan, you have to love bringing him back, right? And it just, to me, with a lot of the roster moves they've made, it very much feels like they think a lot of the young guys they have on this roster are a year or two away. And I think they're particularly signing particular veterans that they think can help groom these guys and make them take that next step. And I think Wade Davis is a prime example of that, getting this bullpen ready for the future. Uh, You don't have to love it if you're a Royals fan. If you don't want to love it, uh, one in six last year at Colorado with a whip of 1.89 in the 2019 season, the last full season and uh, 2020 five appearances for Colorado with a whip of uh, 2.77. Not something that I'm super interested in. Can the Royals rehabilitate him? They helped rehabilitate Holland after he had a couple of clunker years. So I'm not saying that Kansas City doesn't know what they're doing. They probably got him at a discount at a good price. But, I mean, he's going to have to do something dramatically different because his home runs per nine were way up over the last three seasons. His walks per nine are way up over the last two seasons and his strikeouts per nine were down the last two seasons. He had a good year in Chicago and a good year with Colorado, but the last two years with the Rockies, not so good. Davis is a three-time All-Star. He had 47 saves for the Royals from 2013 to 2016. And like Blake mentioned, uh, he spent one season with the Cubs and then signed with the Rockies. And uh, Colorado released him in September. So uh, we'll see if Wade Davis can make the Major League squad out of spring training here in just a couple of months. Sticking with baseball, the Minnesota Twins announced the 2021 win surge coaching staff and their entire minor league coaching staff uh, for that matter. Ramona. Borrego will have the honor of being the first manager in win surge history. So uh, that was announced today. Um, of course, we all know that uh, the Twins, um, they in, uh, invited the win surge to be their double A affiliate for this upcoming season. Uh, he's going to be joined on staff by hitting coach Ryan Smith, pitching coaches Virgil Vasquez and Luis Ramirez, catching coach Joe Mangiamelli, and athletic trainer Chris McNeely, and also strength and conditioning coach Travis Kuhn. So I don't know about you guys, but at least for me, and I know I'm rocking the Windsor chat, 
We still don't have a schedule. We still don't exactly know what's going on with minor league baseball, but at least I feel like with the coaching staff, we're getting one step closer to that dream of becoming a reality of, again, affiliated baseball back in Wichita. It would be nice. Yeah. And uh, by the way, looking on their website, one thing they did announce, apparently stuff on the web, on the WinSurge MILB store is 50% off right now. So, I mean, they're not paying me to say that, but if you're wanting to get some new swag like Tommy has, you might want to check it out. Looks like it's got pretty good deals on there right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, just a, an update there for the wind surge. And of course, as we know more about uh, what's going on as far as their schedule is concerned and, and so on and so forth, we'll make sure to pass that along. Our final topic in our news and notes segment is just a quick update on the Wichita Thunder. So um, this uh, is kind of interesting to me. And it was something that I don't really feel like got a lot of news, but I do feel like it's newsworthy and something to mention as it relates to COVID-19 in Sedgwick County. So the Kansas Department of health and environment on Wednesday released uh, the latest clusters around the county as far as COVID-19 is concerned. And the Wichita Thunder hockey team has been listed as a new COVID-19 cluster in the county. The Thunder postponed their weekend series of games last weekend per league safety protocols. And the game that was scheduled on Thursday versus the Kansas City Mavericks has also been postponed. Uh, Apparently, uh, no fans have been infected. There have been some players that have come down with COVID-19 and there's been no direct contact between the team and fans. But if you go and check their official schedule on the Wichita Thunder website, it does show last weekend series at Allen Post. Uh, and the game this coming Thursday at home against Kansas City postponed. However, Sunday's game at home against Indy is still on as scheduled as of right now. So, um, you know, Blake, I'll just ask you very quickly, you know, taking a look at the early season for the Thunder, they're setting right now with a winning record. They're 6-2-1. and one. Of course, they've had to postpone a few games. Uh, the, it'll, there'll be a two-week span if they can play this game this coming Sunday between when they played last to when they played now. Your thoughts on what's going on with the Thunder? Well, you know, with all these teams right now, I think this just goes back to, to what we talked about earlier with Wichita State and they're being unable to play, you know, you had to know going into this season that this was going to be like this. So, you know, the, the Thunder hopefully had a plan in place and, and has a, you know, a quarantine plan in place. And we even did this back when you guys first had me on when I was like, I was just guest hosting that day when you asked me about, had me on to interview me about Newman, um, you know, at this point, you better have a plan. You better be prepared. And, you know, I think with the resources that they've got with the Edmonton Oilers and they, they you know, the affiliates of another team as well, higher up in hockey, you know, I think the Thunder will weather it just fine. And, um, you know, you look at all of these MIAA teams and all these college basketball teams that have been dealing with this kind of thing. Most of the time, once a team goes on quarantine, you know they they come out and they're and it's better after that. Uh, at least it has been for Newman. That there certainly have been some that have had to go on quarantine multiple times. But that's what you really hope. It's going to be pretty naive and optimistic to think that the team is never your team, your favorite team, no matter who it is, is not going to have any coronavirus outbreaks during the season. I mean. Sure, you can keep wishing for a pony at Christmas too, but I'm just here to tell you it's probably not going to happen. So when it does happen, you know, don't treat it like it's the worst. And that's something Coach Spence told me at Newman, the women's coach. Like, let's get over the fact, like, oh my gosh, the world is ending. Somebody on the team got coronavirus. 
most of the time, the team gets over it, the player gets over it, they get healthy, you get back to work. If it happens to be more situation for that player, just deal with it then. Don't worry about what can happen or the the worst case scenario. Worry with the now case scenario. What's happening right now and what can we do right now? And I think if the Thunder do that, I think they'll be fine. Weston, any thoughts for you on uh, what's going on with the Thunder? Um, so, no. Uh, Blake um, just tried to me and I'm on the Win Search team store right now. So, uh, this <laughs> yeah, is terrible. Actually, I have too. I mean, but I- hand up. The uh, the blue. I'm, I'm thinking about the blue or the gray one. The uh, the dry fit one. I think that's what I'm going for. The the rest yeah, of them, I was, man. Uh, I wish I wasn't as fat because uh, they there'd be more in my size. But you know what? What can you do? Hey, uh, Weston, with that uh, with that big <laughs> with that big attorney salary that you have going on, if you'd like to oh, buy God. me a shirt. I'm yeah, I mean, if you want to throw me in, I mean, hey, that that'd be great. Well, at the at the fifty percent off discount, maybe I can hook up the whole crew. You know, that'll that'll work <laughs> perfect. All right, there you go. All right, we're going to get into our Wichita whip around here now on Keeper of the Games. Uh, and an update that we want to tell you about as far as high school sports is concerned around the state of Kansas. So, uh, Keisha, they voted on Wednesday to allow four spectators for every student participant for winter sports. Right now, the way that the, uh, the, the regulations are in place is that uh, each athlete is allowed only two spectators uh, for the different sports uh, around the state of Kansas. So that just happened 24 hours ago or less than 24 hours ago. The new po- uh, policy will take effect on January 29th through the end of the winter activities regular season this year with appropriate social distancing. Now, one caveat to this is that local school districts, they may choose to have stricter limitations. So just because the state uh, has uh, voted to do this statewide, the local school districts can uh, make stricter changes if they so choose. But it's hard for me to not think, uh, you guys, that we're starting to move in the right direction. I know that, you know, without getting into a big discussion about the overall vaccine rollout and where we stand right now with COVID-19, we don't need to get into that. But I'd like to think that as we move forward, we're going to see more and more relaxing of these regulations that have been in place. Hopefully that's the case. Yeah, yeah and, you man, hope hope so. and certainly, you know, I kind of think, you know, as we close in on starting to get to senior night and then tournament play, um, you know, that's really when you, you hope that, you know, the parents and, and you, you spread out to, you know, aunts, uncles, grandma, grandpa, those kind of folks can just be there and, and not miss senior night, not miss, you know, if they've got a kid in high school that that uh, is making the you know state tournament, those kind of things. So I hope it, that we're, like you said, going in that right direction, expanding things, hopefully here at the right time. And I'm really glad that people didn't cave and just say, oh, there's not going to be any sports. The Wichita Thunder have been the only outbreak. Now, not, that's not saying that there haven't been other teams that have had um, issues, like Derby football had some in the fall. But other than Derby football and the Thunder, I don't recall any major sports outbreaks of coronavirus here in South Central Kansas at all. And Newman's been playing several sports. Wichita State's been playing several sports. Friends started their basketball season even before NCAA did. So, you know, there is a way to put these games on safely. And the high schools and the colleges around here have been doing a good job of that. Yeah, the only cluster that I can think of locally has been Derby High School. They had, yeah, a, they had the Derby football they, team had some of the yeah. fall. 
Yeah, they had a cluster. But other than that, no, I agree with you. I think that we've seen ways that these sporting events can be conducted safely uh, to where the athletes can play the game and to where you can have a limited number of spectators, parents and whatnot, uh, actually be able to view how their how their kid is doing in those sports. And, and I'm just I'm grateful that, you know, you were able to see a good majority, a good, a good number of fans in fall sports, specifically football. And it didn't seem like the winter sports were being offered that same opportunity. I know it's different because of outdoor versus indoor and, and whatnot, but uh, good to see that those winter sports are now going to be able to at least have a few more spectators in attendance uh, as the seasons roll on. We promised you a prep uh, basketball update on this episode of Keeper of the Games, and we want to give it to you just briefly. Um, but the first thing I want to do is take a look at the rankings. So boys, 6A rankings. You have to go all the way down to number four before you get a Wichita Metro team. Uh and that's Hayesville. That's Campus High School, number four in Class 6A. You've got Blue Valley Northwest, Blue Valley North, and then Lawrence in the top three. And then from there, it's all you know Northeast Kansas after that. So Campus High School is the only Wichita area school in the top 10 rankings in Class 6A. I know that we're talking about some juggernauts and powerhouses in boys basketball on the prep stage, especially up in the Kansas City area. But is that surprising to any of you guys that the only team Wichita area in 6A that's in the rankings is Campus? It doesn't surprise me just because we've seen this trend of it seems like players, instead of flocking to the City League to play here, it seems like they're moving out of the City League to play in the surrounding leagues. And I don't necessarily know why that is. Um, you know, I, I know Coach Jackson's not at Wichita East anymore. Um, you know, but yeah, it, it, for me, it's it's weird to not see Southeast and East there in the 6A standings. I, and I don't, I, I'm not used to it and I don't want to get used to it. Yeah. Uh, and then you look at 5A in boys basketball, number one in the state is Andover. Um, you know, so uh, the, the Trojans uh, having a, a great season so far. They're number one in 5A. Uh, a couple of other Wichita area schools that are in the top 10. Mays at number six and Bishop Carroll, who I know, Blake, you're very familiar with. They come in at number eight in class 5A. So uh, is that about a is that a, an appropriate ranking you think for Bishop Carroll or where, where would you normally see them at? Yeah, I mean, that's much. Much higher than they're normally ranked. Typically, Bishop Carroll, at least back when I was covering the City League, was a team that finished about 500 every year. And gosh darn it, if they didn't beat Wichita East or Southeast or Heights one time that they shouldn't have. Now, they just came off. They, they just won their first ever state title, you know, and under Coach Dominic, he really kind of changed the whole momentum of, of that program. So, you know, I, I think that, yeah, really really good program and and no based on what they've been doing here recently not real surprised valley center rounds out the top 10 in class 5a as well weston do you have something to add well i was just gonna add you know just it does feel like Mays. just man they've just always have you know a good basketball program whether it's one that can compete at a level of winning a state title or not you know maybe in different spots but they just seem to produce you know a good basketball team almost year in and year out 
in class 4A, Mulvane comes in at number two uh, this week in the rankings. McPherson at number four, Bueller at number seven, Augusta at number eight. So those are the Wichita area teams in the top 10 in class 4A. Class 3A, Heston number one uh, in 3A. Wichita Collegiate comes in at number two, Cheney at number three. Uh, and so uh, Haven comes in at number seven. So those are uh, the, the Wichita area teams in the top 10 in class 3A. Taking a look at the scoreboard in boys basketball, in 6A. Most recently, Wichita Heights got the win over Wichita West. Not particularly close. Final score of that game, 65-37. to Capen beat Northwest. Final score of that game, 59-52. to East over South. Final score, 68-46. to uh, And then a few more uh, City League games are scheduled as the week goes on. North is on the road at Northwest. Mays takes on Wichita Heights. Um, Mays... Uh, it's also taking on Wichita North. That's going to be happening uh, here in just a few days as well. Um, so just a quick update on the scoreboard for boys basketball. And we would be remiss to not mention what's going on in girls basketball as well. It's not just boys basketball, but we have not mentioned anything about girls basketball uh, so far on this podcast. In Class 6A, the most recent rankings have the Derby Panthers at number three. They are the highest ranked Wichita area team in the rankings in Class 6A, Wichita High comes in at number seven and so those are the the main two teams represented in class 6a in the rankings in class 5a and over central is number one so i found that kind of interesting guys that on the boys side in 5a and is number one on the girls side and over central is number one in 5a so um yeah the the panthers uh you know getting it done there uh in 5a uh number one so uh, definitely good to be i guess a basketball fan in the city of andover i would yeah, say andover's playing that, that's around your neck of the woods I live in Andover, so it's perfect for me. <laughs> uh, I'm actually in Andover Central School District, so I gotta throw my support behind. Uh, I guess the Panthers from they've got a from Andover, they've got the a Jaguars. I mean, from Andover Central, yeah. yeah. They, they've got a great gym there in Andover Central. They used to be. They were back when I was in high school. They were four A, so we we played them every yeah. year. Andover and Andover Central always were were very very tough. They were a much better, at least in my opinion, basketball school than they were were football. So. Um, yep. doesn't surprise me that they have you know risen to the top of 5A as well. Also, a couple of other Wichita area schools in Class 5A in the top 10. Mays at number 5, Cape and Mount Carmel at number 6. Of course, uh, these are the most updated rankings on both the boys' and girls' side. Goddard, uh, Goddard Eisenhower rounds out, out the top 10 at number 10. That's just a quick update there on uh, the prep basketball side. Um, I know that there are more people out there that are uh, more well-versed in prep hoops than we are, uh, but we definitely wanted to at least give a little bit of an update about what's going on on both the boys' and girls' basketball side and what the updated rankings look like, at least in the different classes here in the Wichita Metro. That is our Wichita whip around here on Keeper of the Games, and I think with that, that's going to wrap up our program, uh, unless you guys have anything else you want to discuss. Nope. I got, I got nothing. Pat's playing chiefs win. Let's do it. Yeah. I, I know that Weston's ready to get out of here. Cause he's ready to make a purchase on the wind surge team store. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to, yeah. yeah, I don't want to keep, I don't want to keep him any longer. Cause I know he's, he's got a few items in his cart and he's got to check out here yeah, pretty th- soon. Right? Three, three items in the cart, right guys? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm a, I'm a size XL. 
That'd yeah. be that'd be awesome. Uh, hey, want to remind you guys to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a brand new episode of the podcast, you'll get a notification. Of course, you can listen on all major podcast platforms. Again, that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Our website is cogsports.com. Of course, you can watch full episodes on YouTube and Facebook by searching for Keeper of the Games, and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's at K-O-G pod. Blake, good luck to you. I know that you are calling the next Newman game uh, remotely. That should be interesting. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to drive to Newman and set up in a conference room and yell at a screen for five hours. Um, I, I, I'm i looking forward to it. I think it'll be a challenge. I definitely, uh, I'm definitely not planning on this being the new normal. And Newman's not either, but um, it'll be it'll, it'll at least be great to get the games covered at newmanjets.com slash listen. Um, taking on the men are taking on the number three Bearcats of Northwest Missouri. Uh, women's game should be uh, a very, very close one. Both teams have about three wins. So, yeah, that'll be strange. I- I'm glad we will not have any natural sound. So it really is just going to be me and my color guy. Thankfully, Bernie Pearson is coming along for the ride. Um, so it's not just me literally yelling for five hours. So it'll be good to have someone else to, to break it up it'll it'll be weird well and at least you've got some experience yelling at a screen by doing this podcast you guys right every week so yep absolutely hey blake remind everybody of what your twitter handle is b-e-crips b-e-c-r-i-p-p-s all right weston what is your twitter handle at wmills94 all right we'll be back with another episode of keeper of the games next week hopefully talking about a kansas city chiefs victory and moving into the super bowl i'm sorry what it's your twitter no, you can follow me at tweets from Tommy. No, I don't know why I pop your own collar. God, what are yeah. you doing? <laughs> I totally forgot to do that. Uh, yeah, like I said, hopefully we'll be back next week with uh, talking about a, a Chiefs victory as they hopefully will be moving on to the Super Bowl. Until then, for Hot Take Blake Cripps for Weston Mills, I'm Tommy Caster. You've been checking out Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Caster, Weston Mills, and Blake Cripps. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod.